Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, April 26, 2013. Yeah, a little over a week away from my lectures at uh, Trinity Lutheran in Palo Alto, California. Hopefully, uh, you listeners on the West Coast in Central California or Northern California or the San Francisco Bay Area can attend. Doors open at 9, lectures start at 9.30. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Now, from time to time, uh, we note certain, um, well, patterns, is, is is methods being employed by seeker-driven leaders. I think that's a better way to put it, because that's how they fashion themselves. They, they, they're not really pastors because they don't really care for and feed Christ's sheep. In fact, they <clears throat> it, it, in fact, they beat them, uh, beat Christ's sheep if Christ's sheep dare to, you know, raise a voice or whatever and say, oh, I feel like I'm not being fed in this church. You need to go deeper in your teaching. And then they get they get beaten to death. You know, you know, how dare you? You, know, you need to be a self-feeder and stop being so selfish and things like that. But uh, one of the things we do is we Take a look and analyze some of the behavior of seeker-driven leaders. And I've got a weird question that I want to at least ask today and take a look at. I'm not sure I have an answer for it, but I want to pose the question to you, the listeners of Fighting for the Faith, and, and solicit your response. But the question is this. Is Mark Driscoll manufacturing controversy? Now, I know that's kind of weird, but I'll I'll kind of set it up a little bit right now. But, uh, in fact, I should tell you, we're going to do three things today. We have a Patricia King update to start off today. We have a Mark Driscoll update. And I'm going to shoot for trying to end hour number one early because we have a really long sermon from Barefoot Church, uh, Clay Nesmith. Uh, Um, did you know that Christianity apparently is the cure for insomnia? I had no idea that that was the case because I have been a Christian my entire life and insomnia has been one of those things that I have wrestled with for a long time. Anyway, um, but Clay Nesmith, uh, he's been preaching a sermon series called Sweet Dreams and he's claiming that Christianity has the ability to give you a better night's sleep. <laughs> it's like, and it's a long sermon. It's, it's, <laughs> 
that's the the reason I didn't want to play it yesterday is because of the other stuff I needed to get to, and so I decided to move the good sermon from Friday to yesterday, and then you know, kind of working with the the. Uh, the programming puzzle, the, the timing is. So I'm hoping to end the first hour earlier today than normal. So it's not, I, my, my goal is to not have the first hour be a full hour so that uh, we can uh, devote a fair amount of time to this sermon that we'll be reviewing from Barefoot Church called Sweet Dreams. But anyway, coming back, I, I, I've digressed. I have uh, bunny trailed myself here. So here's – let me kind of set up the question regarding the Mark Driscoll thing, although we're not going into the Mark Driscoll uh, bit first. But I, I just want you to think about this. Yesterday, as I was reading the news, you know, I, I, you know, I use Flipboard and I was doing news reading and trying to, you know, find – particular stories or things of note that may be worth covering here at Fighting for the Faith. And there was a headline that caught my eye about Mark Driscoll uh, preaches controversial sermon and likens nagging wives to water torture. No no joke, that was like the headline. And so, you know, I went over to the, the, the Christian Post story and, you know, they talked about it and I'm thinking, this feels more like a a press release than it does a news story. I, I the reason I say that is is because uh, in the corporate world, I spent uh, you know better part, in fact, more than a decade uh, in the in the corporate America, working in marketing departments and uh, in managing sales and marketing folk. And so I've written a fair number of press releases in my life. And as I was reading the story, it's like, man, this just has the feel of of, of a press release. And uh, and you know, but you know, they it, it, the story itself talked about the sermon, the the so-called controversial statements made by uh, Mark Driscoll, and then had a link over to the sermon that he preached this past Sunday, where you know, apparently, you know, he said this misogynistic thing, you know, of comparing nagging wives to water torture, and I listened to probably about eighty percent of the sermon, and I'm thinking. There's nothing really all that controversial about this sermon. It's pretty garden variety stuff. He was preaching through the book of Ephesians, uh, you know, I think Ephesians chapter 5 and the portion about, you know, husbands loving your wives and wives submitting to your husbands. I mean, pretty standard fare. And, um, and you know, yes, you know, you know two-thirds of the way through the sermon, you know, was the, uh, uh, the little comedy bit that he did where he opens up the book of Proverbs and, and – compares nagging wives, not wives in general, but nagging wives to uh, water torture. But the thing was, is that if if you listen to the whole sermon, I mean, he devoted equal time, if not just a little bit more time, going after the men at Mars Hill and their weaknesses and said some pretty straight up stuff, you know, in your, in, in your face kind of stuff uh, at, for the men at Mars Hill. And so what we'll do, and when we get to the segment, I'll actually play for you uh, a little bit of both. But then, but then, you know, I was uh, on Twitter today and uh, was, you know, watching. I've got a column where I keep an eye on, you know, all the emergent folks and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and Tony Jones, you know, sent a link out to a Huffington Post article that talks about the misogynistic uh, statements, controversial statements made by Mark Driscoll and. And then it just hit me. It's like you know the thing. Yes, the thing that just felt off when I when I read the story yesterday was that it just felt like it was a marketing piece. 
And so I'm going to kick it out to you and ask the question, is it possible that Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll are contriving, are concocting, are manufacturing controversy? Um, it could just, it's just one of those things where you, when you look at the facts and you look at the sermon, you, you know, it, he didn't go on some major tirade. He didn't drop an F-bomb. You know, nothing like that. It just makes me wonder if all along part of Mark Driscoll's shtick has been to create and manufacture contrived controversy, which then, you know, gives, which I think in some senses may actually, uh, you know, be beneficial to him. It just, I know it seems weird. It's just one of those things. It's, you know, but I'll, I'll, I'll put the evidence out there and then, you know, solicit your response uh, in in today's program. So again, what we're going to do today, we got three segments that we're going to do. I'm going to try to <clears throat> have a shorter hour number one uh, due to the fact that the sermon review is going to be so long. Um, so, but with that, I before we get started, I, I really think I need to do this. Warning, fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. All right, it's time for another installment of <clears throat> Life Coaching with Patricia King. Yeah, she's uh, she's now a life coach, and um, and so she has life coaching videos that she calls mentoring moments over at XP Media. And now we're going to learn the importance of the power of a vision uh, when it comes to you know you having successful life via uh, these mentoring moments with the certified. <clears throat> Life coach uh, Patricia King. Here, here we go. Well, hello there. My name is Patricia King, and I am a professional life coach. And I want to help you come into the fullness of what God has for your life. And, you know, so often we find that there's this great potential within people, but, but, they just are spinning wheels. They're just struggling through life, not knowing who they are, not knowing how to reach their, their target. Now, now, wait a second. If somebody's going through life and they don't know who they are, isn't that the medical condition known as amnesia? Um, you don't need a life coach for that. You, you need medical professional attention, I think. They haven't even got it defined. So today, I want to, as a little life coaching tip, give you a little teaching, a little mentoring on the power of vision. Mm, yeah. Why do I feel like we're going to have an out-of-context verse uh, thrown in our faces here that we're going to have to clean up and demonstrate that it doesn't say what she says it's saying during this little mentoring moment? <clears throat> and in uh, Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, yeah, here it comes. <laughs> Without vision, the people perish. Pro uh, Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. By the way, let's take a look at it before 
uh, she twists it. We'll do some pre pre uh, work here. We're going to try to inoculate you against this bad uh, use of or misuse of this particular scripture. So if you have your Bible, flip on over to Proverbs. And uh, what we're going to be looking at here is uh, Proverbs 29, verse 18. And we're going to apply our three sound, our three primary rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, context, and context, which is a little bit tri- uh, tricky when you're dealing with um, Proverbs because a lot of times you have entire complete thoughts in just one sentence or one verse. But here's what it says. <clears throat> Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. See? There you go. You need a prof- You need a prophetic vision for your life. If you're going to be successful, you, well, 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 wait a second here. There's more to the sentence because if you take a look carefully, remember, grammar is an important thing when it comes to hermeneutics. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, comma. See, there's a comma there, not a period. That's important, which means in order to get the full and complete thought of Proverbs 29, 18, you need to read what's past the comma. You don't usually establish biblical truth using half thoughts, half sentences, or sentence fragments. <clears throat> so where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Oh, yeah. See, what's, what is the law, by the way? The Torah? The Torah, well, that would be um, where we would look for prophetic vision because the Torah is God-breathed. It is something that is theonoustos, that is given to us from God to Moses and then to us. Same with the writings of the prophets. So if you want a prophetic vision so that you don't cast off restraint in your life, open up your Bible because blessed is he who keeps the Torah, the law, who has the prophetic vision of the written word of God. That's what Proverbs twenty nine eighteen is teaching. It's not saying, hey, listen, you know, you need to... You need, you need to have a unique and individual vision for your life if you're going to be successful. Yeah, that's not what this is saying at all, but let's see what Patricia King does with this. actually says that without a vision, the people perish. Uh, it says cast off restraint. You'll notice that in the scriptures, God uses the prophetic a lot because the prophetic actually gives people something to believe in that's coming. Yeah, um, the entire written word of God is prophetic. That's the thing we're to be looking to. It's really important that not only do we know God in the present and live with him in the present, but that we're able to see what he has for us in the days to come. Uh, you got a verse for that? Because um, Proverbs twenty nine eighteen doesn't say that. And that we can partner with him for that. That we can uh, partner with God for a future vision? Huh? Identify even our own dreams, our own visions, our own desires. Yeah. You know, it says in the Bible that 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 He will give us the desires of our heart. But if we don't have those desires defined, how can He meet those desires? He wants to partner with you as much as you want to partner with Him. Oh, well, that's great. So we should sign a partnership agreement with God so that. This is actual life coaching and mentoring. You, this is you're a professional life coach, and this is what you're telling your clients. 
I wonder if it's is there some kind of guild of life coaches out there that we can report you to as somebody who is uh, engaging in schlocky life coaching practices? You know, sometimes Christians feel that it is even non-spiritual if you, you know, have your own dream or desire. But God wants, he gave you the ability to dream. He gave you the ability to dream big, actually. And what verse says that? He wants you to because... And what verse says that? He, he made you in his image and likeness. He didn't want just those that would be like working like a computer or a robot where you just program it in, push a button, and it does it. Yeah, I understand that, but uh, this is a philosophical argument, not a biblical one. He wanted you to have the expression of your will, your desires, your love, your... And you understand that I'm sinful and fallen, right? Longings, so that he could partner with you and meet those longings. And of course... So God wants to partner with me to meet my longings. <laughs> really? You know, which God are you referring to? You know, for a second there, because you quoted Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. I thought you were talking about the God of the Bible. But since what you're describing here doesn't sound anything like the God of the Bible, it makes me think that maybe you've, you're talking about a different deity, maybe Shiva or Vishnu or um, not, not Allah. He's really foul-tempered. Um, yeah, I, I'm pretty much convinced we're not actually dealing with the god of the bible you're 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 referring to a different god right patricia and we're walking with god and we love god and we're in fellowship with him all of our desires and that will will be in tune they'll be in oneness with what would be uh good for the kingdom advancement or enhancement of our relationship with him because when you hang out with him where did you go to school to become a professional um life coach can i see your diploma can't help but just take on his heart are you certified can i see your certification and his thinking his perspective so um in this little tip that i'm giving you today it's with the understanding that you know that everything good comes out of your relationship with him that he has given you through his son jesus christ so let's talk about the power of vision yeah um oh boy and the power of dream do we have to because already you haven't shown yourself capable of rightly handling god's word so i have like zero confidence that what's coming out of your mouth next has anything to do with what god's word really says it is important for you to have a dream or a desire uh-huh. within you yeah you know um if you do then you can target it you're not just going through life just spinning wheels in fact they've done many surveys showing that people that did not have a clear well-defined goal that they were just spinning wheels and never really accomplished very much yeah my goal is to make it so that so many people within the body of christ repudiate you as a false prophetess and false teacher that um xp media will dry up like a tumbleweed and blow away How's that for a clearly defined vision? But when they uh, did surveys on highly successful people, they discovered that not only did they have a dream or a clear, well-defined desire, they also had a plan of action. Mm -hmm. That's what fighting for the faith is all about. This is the plan of action. I'm taking action so that I can achieve my dream, my dream of seeing XP Media blow away like a tumbleweed. They were able to implement it. They had it written down. They were able to verbalize it. So the stronger and more defined your dream and desire is Uh with a plan of action to accomplish it, the better 
the better chances you have of being successful. So you're saying there's a chance that I'll see my dream come about. Well, that's great news. I, I like this uh, life coaching stuff. You're, you're making me feel very happy about my dreams and visions. Successful in that. It's just the nature of dreaming. Yeah. So let's talk about the power of dream today. Yeah, okay. And what I use is an, an acronym for the word DREAM, D-R-E-A-M. How original. Which refers to a vision or a goal that you can set before you. And the first uh, point is D, for define. Make sure that your dream or your vision is clear, very well defined. Well, we already went through that. I explained to you how I define it. It's very clear. You know, the ultimate metric is that XP Media as a website ceases to exist and you're no longer preaching, teaching false doc, uh, doctrine and no one's listening to you and sending you money. Make sure it's specific enough that you can uh, do it. I mean, it's okay to have a big vision, yeah. but chances are you can't just eat that whole vision at once. So, you know, I don't normally eat visions. Um Okay. A lot of times I'll have a big vision. Like, for example, one of my visions is to annihilate the sex trafficking, right? In my generation, I want to see it annihilated. That's a great vision to have. But I can't really activate that vision, the bigness of that vision. I have to have it smaller. So then I would make a... Mm. So what you're saying is, is it may be too big of a vision for me to dream, you know, like in one fell swoop that XP Media dries up and blows away like a tumbleweed and no one listens to you and repudiates you as a... And they repudiate you in, in mass as a false teacher. Um, so I need to kind of think of it as like a big burrito. That's the, the dream is a big burrito. So I got to cut it up into you cut the burrito up and, you know, the vision burrito into different bite sized bites so that I can ultimately eat the burrito. Got it. Smaller dream or smaller vision of what we can do in a defined time and um, uh, with the gifts that we have. So uh -huh. that's why we have a base in Thailand, a base in Cambodia. We've got certain plans there because we broke down the bigness of that dream into smaller bite-sized pieces. Yeah, well, that's why we do so many segments here on Fighting for the Faith, Exposing Your False Teaching. You know, so those, All of those are like little bite-sized pieces for the bigger vision to see XP Media go away. So I want to encourage you to use small bite-sized pieces, something that, that can be specific, something that is well-defined, and so that you can... Um, uh, you know, just uh, understand your dream or understand your desire clearly. An example would be like, I okay, <laughs> I've uh, I've had enough of uh, this life coaching. But you know, there, again, it makes me wonder. You know, why is Patricia King moonlighting as a uh, as a mentor, moonlighting as a life a, a professional life coach at that? And where did she get certified to be a professional life coach? And and uh, is there a place where I can report her? You know, as somebody who is engaging in, in bad business practices when it comes to her life coaching. I have to do some more research. I feel like it's going to be a busy weekend for me. Okay, we are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. We have a Mark Driscoll update. I asked the question, kind of already posed it, is Mark Driscoll manufacturing controversy? Yes, yeah, strange question. Stay tuned. We'll try to answer it on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. 
We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. Hello, my name is Joel Osteen, and I want to tell you about my latest book. Every day is Friday. I really don't know why I wrote this one, though. I was trying to come up with some ideas, and it turns out I don't have any. So that's when I started thinking of things people really liked. I was thinking of all sorts of stuff, but none of the things I was thinking were really working. My first title was, Every Day is Marshmallow Covered Rainbows, but my mama told me it stunk. And then I had one of those ideas because somebody on the TV said they like Friday. I mean, what's not to like about Friday? There's a party every night. If your boss isn't all strict and stuff, you could be casual at work. And they're always having that 25 cent wing night down at Bubba Wings on Tuesdays. Turns out there are some people who don't seem to like the whole everyday is Friday thing and have made some not so nice remarks. They keep on saying things like, but Saturday is so much better. With every day being Friday, I don't ever get to sleep in or have a day off. Well, we here at Lakewood have a name for these kinds of people, and they are close-minded haters. Hey, that's my line! Uh, security, get this crazy person out of here. I'll show you who's crazy! You can register now for the 10th annual Branson Worldview Weekend in beautiful Branson, Missouri, Friday night, April 26th, Saturday, April 27th, and Sunday morning, April 28th, 2013. Full details are at worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. That's worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. Speakers this year will include Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis. We'll also have speaking with us for the first time his son-in-law, Bodie Hodge, along with Pastor Jesse Johnson, a regular guest here on Worldview Weekend Radio. We'll also be joined by Chris Pinto with a brand new presentation. Mike Gendron will also bring a new presentation, as will Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. We'll also be joined this year for the first time at a Branson Worldview Weekend by Jason Carlson and Jared Carlson. We'll also be joined for the first time in a conference setting by Carl Tykrib. Full details at worldviewweekend.com. We have a family rate and group rate. You can go ahead and purchase your tickets now and receive priority upfront seating when you purchase your tickets now at worldviewweekend.com forward slash Branson. And join us April 26, 27, and 28 in Branson, Missouri.
Have you purchased your airline tickets for your summer getaway yet? If not, don't pay more for your airfare, hotel room, or rental car than you need to. Long-time Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air is your one-stop shop for all of your travel needs. And we've got a special promo code for you to use at Cheapo Air to save an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the web banner and book your travel today. And remember... A portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That website address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. And thank you for your support. Cowabunga. Warning, before you um, pay Patricia King to be your professional life coach, you definitely want to check her credentials. I'm just saying it may not be worth paying money for it. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts, financial contributions, to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. You can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we do without it. Moving along. It's time for a Mark Driscoll update. In Living Color, or Living Color, The Cult of Personality, that's our Mark Driscoll update music. Now, again, I've already at least set this up a little bit for you. The question that I'm trying to pitch to you all is kind of a weird one. And the question is, is Mark Driscoll manufacturing controversy regarding himself? Now, it seems like it would be an odd thing to do. But it, I have found that you know the, um, the the controversy regarding Mark Driscoll and other seeker-driven pastors at times seems to benefit them. It's kind of the the, the marketing adage that um, 
um, all news, whether good or bad, is good news if you're pitching something, right? You know, so controversy is a way of staying in the uh, in the forefront of people's minds. Well, the reason I say that is it's just kind of a timeline, okay? Over the weekend, Mark Driscoll was preaching on Ephesians chapter 5. And during his sermon, he went after the dudes at Mars Hill, and he went after the chicks at Mars Hill. He was an equal opportunity guy in kind of confronting people with their sins. Mark doesn't have a problem doing that. Um, but what I found odd is that we got a full-blown headline from the Christian Post. And here's what the Christian Post story that was published yesterday says. Mark Driscoll criticizes nagging wives in sermon on marriage. Okay. And it was written by Jeff Shapiro of the Christian Post. But I'm just telling you, as somebody who's written many, 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 many press releases, this feels like something that is basically a press release reworked. And so let, let me read a little bit from the story, and you'll kind of get what I'm talking about here. Here's what it says. Uh, Mars Hill Pastor Mark Driscoll in a sermon Sunday discussed what a biblical marriage should look like and what it should not look like, including comparing wife's nagging to torture of hearing a dripping faucet. Now, now if you've read your Bible, this is really not news. The reason I say that is because there are passages in the book of Proverbs that say this exact same thing. It's not like the folks over at Mars Hill discovered them. I mean, you know, hidden somewhere in an ancient cave out there in the Middle East. And, you know, it's, wow, we found an ancient version of the, the book of Proverbs. And look at this. It says the nagging wife is like a dripping faucet. Whoa. No, it's it's not like that at all. In fact, I mean, I grew up in you know in evangelicalism, and this was a constant joke, a constant thing that was said from the pulpit. You, you understand what I'm saying? It was it was even kicked around the water cooler as a joke at Focus on the Family. It would come up from time to time. Okay, so. so anyway, so why is this a news story? In fact, when I saw this. On the Christian Post yesterday, I was thinking, how is this news? It doesn't make any sense that this would be news at all. So anyway, a quote, and this is supposedly a quote from uh, from Mark Driscoll. You'll hear it because I'll play the, the quote in a minute. And Mark Driscoll says, in some women, you're a nag, you're disrespectful, you're quarrelsome. Being married to you is like a life sentence. And the guy's just scratching on the wall every day. One more day, just one more day, said Driscoll, eliciting laughter from those in attendance at the Seattle-based megachurch. Proverbs talks about certain women. They're like a dripping faucet. You never, have you ever tried to sleep with a dripping faucet? Plunk, 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 plunk. It's what we use to torture people who are prisoners of war. Driscoll, uh, the preaching and vision pastor of Mars Hill, made the comments in the second half of a sermon titled, I Am Love. Now, see, th- th- see, that's the thing. This is one of those things that kind of clued me in that this feels like a press release. Driscoll, the preaching and vision pastor of Mars Hill. Huh? <laughs> that's... Weird, huh? You know, I mean, they, they, we even have a very specific and unique title for him. 
made the comments in the second half of a sermon titled I Am Loved as part of the church's sermon series about the book of Ephesians called Who Do You Think You Are? Driscoll based his sermon on the text found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, which says, Wives should submit to their husbands, and husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, now, here's the deal. How many churches are there in the United States of America? I, I don't know, but I would say probably more than a hundred. In fact, I would say probably more than a thousand. Um, probably more than ten thousand. There are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of churches in the United States of America. And as pastors in those churches work their way through preaching the Bible, if they're still doing that, they're going they're bound to run into texts like Ephesians chapter 5 or the you know the verses in Proverbs and actually preach from you know, those texts in the pulpit on a Sunday morning those guys never make the news never i mean so again this is just one of those weird things where it feels to me like some enterprising marketing guy over at uh, Mars Hill Bible Church thought, oh, we've got to send out a press release on this one, see if we can stir up some controversy and get some ink, you know, and get, get Mark back in, the, in, in, in front of people mentally. And so they go on and talk about what he preached about and then give a full-blown link to the Mars Hill website where you can then listen to the entire sermon. So I clicked on it. I listened to a good 75, 80% of the whole thing and thought, this isn't news. This isn't news at all. Well, then I saw a tweet come out from uh, Tony Jones of, uh, you know, the emergent church. And, you know, he made a sarcastic comment and linked to the Huffington Post version of this story. The Huffington Post, which uh, published a story the same day, a little bit later in the day. And I just saw it for the first time today. Uh, but it says, Mark Driscoll, mega church leader, says nagging wives like wa- are like water torture. And then they have a video there. And so it, it just it was one of those things where I'm thinking, all right, this is just it feels everything about the story, everything about the way it, you know, same day the Christian Post gets to the story quicker than the Huffington Post. The Huffington Post puts it out. And, you know, the headline you know, makes it sound like, yo, this Mars Hill pastor, he's some raving misogynist lunatic who's making these crazy comments. And yet when you watch the sermon, it's pretty standard biblical fare. I mean, it's not even worth the controversy. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to play for you a couple of snippets from the actual sermon so that you can see what's going on. In fact, I'm going to start with from the first half of the sermon where Driscoll goes after the men in the congregation uh, regarding Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 through 33 because it's not just something that is only for girls or women or, you know, know, regarding certain behaviors. So here's Driscoll and you're going to hear him go after what I would consider to be one of the kind of the stereotypical uh, self-absorbed man-boy types, and uh, and Driscoll does I think a pretty even-handed way of uh, of demonstrating that this what this guy is doing is wrong. L- listen in. We don't live in a world that is marked by generosity. We just don't. We just don't. The truth is, 
you can easily ascertain who or what you love by just following your money. Jesus says this elsewhere, where your treasure is, there your heart is. If I, for example, go to a man's home, let's say he's married and has three kids, and I pull up and there's a huge bass boat and ATVs and hunting and fishing gear and new golf clubs and a golf cart and the house is falling apart and the wife is driving a beater car and I walk in and the kids are wearing threadbare clothes, I know exactly who and what he loves. And I know exactly who and what he doesn't love. And he could tell me, oh, I love my family. No, you don't. Follow the money. Follow the money. You love yourself. You love your hobbies. You love your toys. You don't love your wife and you don't love your kids. You don't. Because love is not just what we feel. Love is a commitment that compels us to act. And part of that action is giving. It's generosity. What do you give your time to? That shows us who or what you love. What do you give your energy to? That shows us who or what you love. What do you give your possessions to? That shows us who or what you love. What do you give your wealth to? That shows us who or what you love. Okay, now, there. so that's from the first half of the sermon. And I thought that was a pretty decent point. And Mark doesn't sound like some raving fundamentalist. Apart, I apologize here. I'm using a stereotype. Uh, it doesn't, you know, some some guy beating on the pulpit. You know, it, it's just very soberly presented, and and he's going after the guys. Well, halfway through the sermon, he switches and decides to confront some of the women in the congregation there with their shortcomings and sins. And this is where he makes these comments regarding a nagging and disrespectful wife. Listen in to how it was presented by Driscoll. The book of Proverbs talks about certain kinds of women. They're quarrelsome. They're a nag. In the history of Marcel, I've I've emphasized men and I've um, rebuked men. Well, in the name of equality, let me now do the same for the ladies, okay? Because we, we believe in equality. We believe sh- that women should be offended as equally as men. Okay? And some women, you're, you're a nag. You're disrespectful. You're quarrelsome. Uh, being married to you is like a life sentence. And the guy's just scratching on his wall every day. One more day. Just one more day. Proverbs talks about certain women, they're like a dripping faucet. You ever tried to sleep with a dripping faucet? Plunk, 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 plunk. It's what we use to torture people who are prisoners of war. A wife is like that. She just boom, 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 boom. Some guys, then they read Proverbs and they see the verse where it says, it's better to live on the corner of the roof than in the house with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. Guys are like, yes. I have camping gear and I'm ready to apply the word of God, right? And just get my ladder, climb on my roof, set up my tent and pull up my ladder. Okay. Some of you women are like, I am not quarrelsome. One for me. All right. One for me. So that was his comments. How is this a national story? I mean, do you understand what I'm saying here? 
it makes me just wonder if the reason why this is a national story is because Mark Driscoll and some marketing guy at uh, Mars Hill have sent out press releases in the hopes of making this a national story. There's not a story here. And yet it's being, you know, pitched as, oh, this Driscoll guy, he's, oh, he's compared nagging wives to water torture and what a, you know, <laughs> hmm. So you, that's the evidence. I don't know if you've ever written a press release. Like I said, I've written many of them. This, to me, has all of the earmarks, all of the hallmark signs that this isn't something these people just stumbled on, you know, that there was some offended person there at Mars Hill who, after they left church, immediately went to the media and said, you got to pay attention to this. Mark Driscoll said that nagging wives are like water torture. And, you know, and then the media goes and checks it. Oh, my goodness, this is horrible. And then they start writing stories. No, this, to me, feels like a manufactured story. And this was a story manufactured by Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll. And they're the ones who pitched it in order for it to become a national story, even though there's no reason for this to be a national story. What do you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we have a really long sermon to review today. Don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. We will be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Have you purchased your airline tickets for your summer getaway yet? If not, don't pay more for your airfare, hotel room, or rental car than you need to. Long-time Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air is your one-stop shop for all of your travel needs. And we've got a special promo code for you to use at Cheapo Air to save an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the web banner and book your travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That website address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, and thank you for your support. 
Cowabunga. Come in. What was I just doing, you might ask? Well, I just conquered the outer rim planet of Pico Pond with my trusty double barreled nuclear plasma cannon. Well, I just did in this video game. But how is it possible for someone like myself to play 13 hours straight and not get a headache? It's quite simple, really. It's because I wear gunners. When I'm rocking these babies, I'm unstoppable. They're not limited to just games, mind you. Oh no! I rock the spreadsheet, the PowerPoint, the word processor, and when that's all done, I hop my T-16 and fry me some toasters. If you want to get in on the action, then head over to piratechristianradio.com forward slash gunners. You gotta see it to believe it. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. Did you know that Christianity apparently cures insomnia? If you're having a hard time sleeping at night, all you need to do is apply some biblical principles and it'll just clear it right up. Now, as somebody who's suffered from insomnia for most of my adult life, I found this to be shocking news. That's what we're going to hear about today, no joke. All right, here we go. The good, the bad, and, uh, well, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's, um, sermon. Yeah, if you can call it that. Comes to us via Barefoot Church, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Clay Nesmith presiding. The name of the, um, sermon, man, I hate calling it that, is entitled Sweet Dreams Week 2. Apparently, Christianity is all about stress release and helping you um, get a better night's sleep. (laughs) This is one of the weirdest claims I've ever heard regarding Christianity. So, uh, let me just go ahead and kill the music here. Without any further ado, here is Clay Desmith in Sweet Dreams Week 2. And uh, this is just some great practical preaching right here. I mean, at the end of this sermon, if you're struggling with, you know, getting a good night's sleep, you don't even need to take, you know, any kind of, you know, medication to help you get to sleep quicker. You just need to apply some biblical principles. (laughs) Here we go. We're in this series that we have titled Sweet Dreams. And I'm going to talk a little bit about how to have sweet dreams, uh, restful nights again this weekend. Now, a lot of sleepless nights are caused by relational days, right? Okay, so did you catch that? We're going to solve the problem of sleepless nights because a lot of sleepless nights are caused by relational days. 
I think that's D-A-Z-E, relational days. Let me back this up. Listen again. At Barefoot Church. We're in this series that we have titled Sweet Dreams, and I'm going to talk a little bit about how to have sweet dreams, uh, restful nights again this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how to have sweet dreams and restful nights. I mean, who knew that Jesus, you know, when he was suffering and dying on the cross, it was so that you can have sweet dreams and restful nights. I mean, yeah, and talk about whiffums, you know, what's in it for me? There you go. There's a good reason why you need to uh, make a decision to become a Christ follower so that you can sleep better at night. Now, a lot of sleepless nights are caused by relational days, right? Anybody ever lost sleep because of a, a day of relationships? Anybody before? Huh? Yeah, I want to talk about that this weekend, how to really, really have better relationships so we can rest and relax and go to sleep at night. If you have your Bibles with you this weekend, I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture, so uh, it will be here on the on the screens at all of our campuses, but I encourage you to follow along. I'm going to read a passage to kind of take off with out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, and this is what the scripture says. It says, don't sin. What? Don't sin. It says, don't sin. Don't miss the mark. That's what sin is. Missing the mark of God's glorious standard for your life. Okay, so sin is missing the mark of God's glorious standard for my life. Sounds a little subjective to me. I mean, because now we're talking God's glorious standard. Well, what's that? Well, you need to have, you need to find a purpose. Oh, so God's glorious standard is for me to live a purpose-driven life. Right. So does God's glorious standard have anything to do with, you know, maybe like the Ten Commandments? Well, that's kind of old school religion. But let me back this up because, I mean, this is bizarre. Don't sin. What? Don't sin. It says don't sin. Don't miss the mark. That's what sin is. Missing the mark of God's glorious standard for your life. It says don't sin by letting anger control you. Now, you know what? That's some words of wisdom there. What translation are you reading there? Um... Ephesians chapter 4, I'll just add a little bit of context here. Verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. What you'll find is, is, um, yeah, so be angry and do not sin. It says be angry and do not sin. So don't sin in your Anger. No mention here of God's glorious standard for your life. And nor is Ephesians chapter 4. Let me read it. In fact, let me add a little context here. See if Ephesians chapter 4 is talking about the cure for insomnia. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Nope. 
Not a word there about overcoming insomnia. We continue. It says, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Why? Because you're probably going to lose a little bit of sleep. It says, for anger gives a foothold to uh, the devil. And so I want to talk about how to get the most out of the moonlight in how we handle our relationships in the daylight. Because the Bible says that we can rest. You know what? And I think in the chaotic world that we live in today, maybe a lot of times we do go. I mean, seriously. He want, So this is a Christian pastor wanting to teach us how to get the most out of the moonlight. That means getting a good night's sleep by making the most of the daylight. <laughs> I, I really, really am having a problem here. <clears throat> you go to bed angry. And we lose sleep at night because we're angry with somebody else because of the way they treated us. Now, I want to go ahead and give you a, a kind of a, a basic principle that I think if we could all learn how to handle that, you know what, we would all get better sleep at night and maybe not go to bed angry sometimes. You may want to write. I mean, it's just so kind of Clay Nesmith to care so much about people and their, their their ability to sleep well at night. I mean, there's so few pastors today that care about you getting a good night's sleep. I'll write this down. I don't think it's in our notes there, but um, it's this. It's, as I learned this a long time ago, I can only be responsible for myself and influence other people. And the day you learn how to be responsible for yourself and influence other people is the day that it changes. In other words, I can't be responsible. You know, I could get this advice from Dr. Phil. You know that, right? I can get this from Anthony Robbins or, you know, some real-life coach. Why would I want to get this from a Christian pastor? The job of the pastor is to preach the Word. And so far you've read one verse out of context from a dubious translation. Well, if you're mad at me, but I can be responsible if I'm mad at you. And so I can be responsible for my actions and my attitude, but I can only influence those those around me. The Bible says, don't be angry. Don't go to sleep while you are angry. If you want to get rest, you want to minimize anger so it doesn't control you. Yeah. So if you're having a hard time sleeping because of anger, you just, you, you thank goodness. I mean, Clay is here giving us a Bible verse that you can now go, oh, that's the reason why I'm having a hard time getting a good night's sleep. It's I, I couldn't put the two together. I, it was, I mean, for years I've been struggling going, I can't sleep, I can't sleep. And all the time, you know, the reason I couldn't sleep, I mean, I was because I was struggling with anger. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Then we're going to talk about how to minimize anger because, you know what, some of you, you your hair kind of stands up on your head sometimes. You get a little bit irate. And, you know, I, I, I do too. But the Bible tells us how to control that, how to keep that under control so it doesn't control us and ruin our life. See, sin ruins, ruins our life. And Yeah, and the reason why we all sin is because we have a sinful and corrupt human nature. Yeah, so it kind of goes all the way down to the core. You know what I mean? If you have your Bibles, again, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 18, says this is basically how, how you do it. It says there in verse 9, it says, don't just pretend to love others. In other words, let's keep it real, okay? Uh, wait a second. Romans chapter 12 is a insomnia cure chapter. 
Yeah, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, let me just double check here. Um, let's see, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the testing uh, by that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one contributes generosity, uh, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who acts, uh, uh, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. Hmm. Yeah, um, you are aware that Romans, like the first 11 chapters, like spell out the gospel in like super crystal clear language in multiple different illustrations and that verse 12 flows out of the, that gospel here and that Romans 12 is not the great insomnia cure passage of scripture. Yeah, just looked at the context. Nothing there about curing sleepless nights. A lot of times we pretend, especially at church, don't we? We kind of put on our plastic mask and I love you and you're special and all that kind of stuff. But the truth of the matter is the Bible says don't just pretend. Don't just pretend to love others. In other words, let's keep it real. Let's keep it authentic. I believe the local church should be the most authentic place on planet earth. And, and we need to be able to keep it real and keep it, keep it honest. Look what it says. It says, really love them. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. In other words, let's keep it real and let's keep it right. The Bible goes on to say, love each other with genuine affection and take light, take the light in honoring each other. Keep on honoring. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bible goes on to say, bless those who persecute you. In other words, if they... Now, how is this supposed to cure insomnia and sleepless nights? I don't see the connection wrong you you bless them it says don't curse them pray that god will bless them be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep live in harmony with each other don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think that you know it all Never. Now, you are aware, again, Romans 12 flows out of the clear presentation of the gospel earlier in the book of Romans. The book of Romans, by the way, does not begin at chapter 12. Yeah, I'm just saying. Um, it's weird that uh, I have rarely ever heard a seeker-driven pastor actually preach on, like, the opening chapters, you know, like chapters 1 through maybe 8 
of uh, the book of Romans. I rarely hear any seeker-driven pastors do expository preaching through the earlier portions of the book of Romans. By the way they quote it, you would think it would begin at uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1.5. Yes, they skip over that first connector point because then it would point people to the gospel earlier, and that would just confuse people. And so now we've got Romans 12, all of the therefores that come about as a result of the gospel, the fact that we've been raised from the dead, we're new creatures in Christ, that there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, all of that is gone. And all we get are the things that flow from that, you know, which are now being preached as imperatives. And while well, the way Clay Nesmith is preaching them, these, all these things there are the cure for insomnia. You having sleepless nights? Well, you just need to apply this passage here. This is the great solver of sleepless nights section of Scripture. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. So we're going to talk about this word honorable. Look what else it says there in verse 18. Let me close with this. It says, do all that you can. Everybody, let's say that word, you, together. Do what? All that you can. Say all that I can. Let's say that. All that I can. See, see, when it's talking here, it's saying do all that you can. You're responsible for what you do. You can only influence what other people do. It says do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. So we sleep well when we treat well. You may want to write that down. Why? The passage doesn't say that. When we treat others well, we begin to sleep well and have some sweet dreams. Uh, The passage doesn't mention anything about sleeping well or curing insomnia or having sweet dreams. You are connecting it to something that it's not connected to at all. This isn't the cure for insomnia. So I I want us to talk about, about how to live that honorable life because... It talks a lot about honor in this passage. It talks a lot about how to live an honorable life and let everybody see that you live an honorable life. Don't you think it's dishonorable of you to twist God's word like this? That you are dishonoring God by doing what you're doing? Honorable life. Do all you can do to live at peace with everyone. And whenever we're real, we're authentic, and we, we honor other human beings. You know what? We tend to rest better, relax better, sleep better, and not be so uptight when we go to bed. And, and it says, don't go to bed with, with anger in your heart. Now, I know that probably a lot of you don't struggle with that, um, going to bed with anger in your heart. But, and I know that most of you think that Kim and I, we have this perfect relationship. That's my wife here on the front, front row up here, um, right here in front of me. But the truth of the matter is, you know what? Our relationship is a lot like many of your relationships, has challenges. She gets mad at me. Can you believe that? I mean, I just cannot fathom that some lady would get mad at a man of God like myself. Can you believe that she would get mad with somebody like me? But the truth of the matter is, you know what? Sometimes we get angry with one another. And when we get angry, I become miserable. I mean, when I get mad, I get miserable. I don't know about you, but I am a miserable person. I can't sleep at night. I can't rest. And so when we kind of maybe get in an argument. So is what you're saying here that the entire spark of creativity that decided 
for you that you were going to be preaching a sermon series called Sweet Dreams. Is it safe to say that this came about as a result of a sleepless night that you encountered after you had an argument with your wife? That's what it sounds like to me. Before we go to bed, um, I'll lay down and I'll go to sleep. And you can tell when, when Kim's really mad because what she does is she ignores you. She won't talk to you. She won't argue with you. And, and you know what? That just kind of like steams me up. And I'm like, you know what? No, 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 no. This, no, we're not going to bed like this. So I get up, I'll turn the light on, I'll switch the light on, I'll flip the covers back. I'm like, we're going to talk about this, okay? We're going to get to the bottom of this and we're going to talk about this because I just cannot go to sleep because all I'll do is I'll turn from one side of the bed to the other. And then she won't talk to me. You know, I'll lay there for a few minutes and act like I'm going to ignore her. Then I'll, I'll kind of cough real loud, <coughs> you know, or whatever else. I just want to let her know that I'm still awake. In case she wants to talk because the truth of the matter is you know what we get we 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 just don't sleep well when we're when we're angry when we don't honor one another and so man i just want to i want to keep it real and i want to talk about what it means to live an honorable life bible yeah um yet what you're doing is dishonorable here because you're dishonoring god by wrongly handling his word Bible says we're to honor everybody even those who dislike us, even those who treat us wrong, those we like, those we dislike. The Bible says if we can learn how to live an honorable life, then the truth is, is we can begin to rest a whole lot more. So I want to talk about, honor. again, what passage says that if we honor, we'll be able to rest a whole lot more. I'm not familiar with any of those passages. You're just sticking them on to the end of these biblical points that you're attempting to make here. But there's no Bible passage that says if you honor more, you'll rest more. Honor this, this weekend, how to live an honorable life. You see, honor is something you give, not something you take. You may want to write that down. Honor has more to do. Yeah, why do I want to write that down again? It's not profound. It's not even helpful. With not biblical. With your heart than it does with the other person's actions. Honor is something you give, not something you take. The word honor in our English language, we, we get it from a Greek word known as temet. I want to read to you what it means because this is what honor truly means. It, it means this, to value highly, respect, to highly esteem, uh, to be highly esteemed, to treat, to treat with precious value, to ascribe great worth to. So when I show honors to, uh, to others, that's exactly what I'm doing, expressing that I value them, I esteem them, and I give great worth to what God gives great worth to. In other words, when I show honor, when I have an honorable heart, an honorable spirit, I'm really illustrating who God is to the world. And so honor has more to do about with my heart than it does with your actions. Honor shows me more about myself than it does than it does about how you respond. And so I really want us to get that picture. I know that everybody in our mindset and in our life, we don't feel like they deserve honor. 
But understand, honor shows you more about who you are than who they are. And so this is why it's really, really important to have a, an honorable life because it's, it's really like a thermometer to show you where, where your heart is. And are you really embracing and... Where are you getting this from? Are you just making it up? I don't know any biblical passages that say any of the stuff that you're saying right now. Do you really understand? Do you really trust the creator and understand who he is? Do you really understand what purpose in life is all about? Do you really understand what God values? That's what honor does. It shows you all of those things. It shows you what you trust. It shows you do you understand purpose. And it shows you do you truly, truly value what is truly, truly valuable. Now, we're going to learn from the life of a man named David about how uh, to, honor, to honor others, how to live an honorable life, how to really look at our own heart and, and see if we're really honorable people. Because Now, um, are you then going to show us how, because David was an honorable guy, uh, that he was able to sleep better at night as a result of it? Because remember, you're trying to help us cure sleepless nights, right? I, I can promise you this. If you learn to apply honor to your life, it will change your sleeping habits. Because when you have done everything in your relationships to keep peace with those around you, you can lay your head down at night and you can say, God, I did all that I could do to express who you were to those around me. I laid So you'll have better sleep nights Oh, man, this is ridiculous. Lay down in peace. I rest because I trust you. I've honored the people around me, and I've valued what, what you have valued. That's exactly who David is. David is a, a man who was a great, great king, and many of us have heard of David. His name is King David, and there's a lot of military strategies that still happen today out of, out of David's life, but David was a was the upcoming king of Israel. And how David handled his life really shows us how to, how to live an honorable life. Now, in ancient times, um, what would happen is most, most people would carry around a spear a lot like this one. And a spear, how you handled your spear, really, really showed you a lot about your heart. What? How you handled your spear? <laughs> what? <laughs> really? Where did what archaeological digest did you discover this little factoid from? Because I'm pretty much convinced that you just made that up. <laughs> Hang on a second here. That is one of the craziest things I've heard in a while. And how David handled his life really shows us how to how to live an honorable life. Now, in ancient times. Um, what would happen is most, most people would carry around a spear a lot like this one. And a spear, how you handled your spear, really, really showed you a lot about your heart and whether you were an honorable person or not. How you responded to a spear really showed you a whole lot about, about your, own, your own heart. Oh my, this is, oh, this is a train wreck. 
this he's like flailing around here. You're just making stuff up, really. So in the ancient world, how you handled your spear? Well, that's uh, you know, you, 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 in the ancient world, there was two guys. You know, they were walking down a path, and you know, they you know, one guy had a spear and the other guy didn't. And then this one guy, you know, he did something with his spear. And the way he handled it, the other guy looked at him. Oh, you are a guy who has no character, because you, you, how you're handling your spear tells me a lot about what's inside your heart. Not at all. This is absurd. It showed you what was really on the inside. This, this external, external weapon or external tool could show you a whole lot about what was on the inside of of your heart. Now I know that. None of you probably walked in here with a spear today, right? But the truth is, is how we handle, handle our spear really shows us what's inside of our heart. <laughs> yep. From the Department of Making Stuff Up Department. And we have some, some modern day spears, don't we? Yeah, so now we're going to allegorize this point that you made that isn't even really true. It's not, it's not true biblically. It's not true historically. But now we're going to allegorize it. So what are the allegorical spears that tell us what's inside your heart? They're, they're not little sticks with pointy things on the end of it. But, it. but it's things like Facebook and Twitter and email and phone calls and texting and how you handle your spear, those things really show you something about your heart. The modern day spear is, is simply basically social networking because you have the ability to, to dishonor or honor people by how you respond and what you say about, about others. It's amazing to me, and, and I really want to bring in this social networking thing because it's amazing to me how much dishonor happens on the social networks. Yeah, see, the, the, the subtext of this is don't be dishonoring um, Clay Nesmith on you know social networks like Twitter or Facebook by saying things like, man, that guy twists God's word. Man, he really doesn't know how to handle Scripture properly. Man, he just makes stuff up and, and calls it biblical. Yeah, don't be saying that on the social media networks because that shows that you have bad character and how you're using your spear. So the subtext is here. Don't be talking smack about um, Clay Nesmith on the social media. you got to honor him by not dishonoring him on social media. That's, I think, the subtext of this particular point that he's trying to make. Because people are afraid to stand and talk through a conflict. And the truth is, if you're hiding behind that spear and you're not using it properly, then, then chances are you don't rest well at night because you're a very insecure person. So, yeah, how you misuse social media, that could cause insomnia. And you don't have peace in your heart. And so how you handled the spear that was thrown at you or handled the spear that was in your hand in ancient times really showed you something about, about your heart. See, David knew how to honor everyone, those who were below him, those who were around him, and those who were over him. And, and see, that's what God calls us to do is to honor everybody, everybody in our life, men, women, boys, and girls, 
no matter what ethnic group they come from, no matter what position in life they hold. We, we can live an honorable life. We can honor every single person. So how do we do it? Well, I'm going to read through some uh, scripture that kind of covers the bulk of David's life, and, and we're going to learn how to live this honorable life. You see, David honored, David honored everybody. Now, the context of this particular passage is, is in a time where David had been appointed as the future king of Israel, but there was a present king. His name was Saul. And there was a giant that came on the scene. His name was Goliath. And most of the people of Israel were afraid of this giant named Goliath. Many of you have probably heard the story of David and Goliath. The Bible says that David was not king. He was just a young shepherd boy. And he went out and he set the people of Israel free. He went out and killed the giant Goliath that was holding them back from their God destiny. And all of us, what, <laughs> what was Goliath doing again? Hang on. He went out and he set the people of Israel free. He yeah. went out and killed the giant Goliath that was holding them back from their God destiny. Right. So Goliath was holding the people of Israel back from their God destiny. Mm-hmm. And what passage says this? You just made that up because that ain't what that passage says at all. And all of a sudden, whenever David did this, um, people began to cheer for David. They began to uh, actually begin to take David on as a, as a person that was, was a leader. Well, this made the present king, Saul, very, very angry. Now, David wasn't trying to take a position David was just exhibiting the power that God had placed in his life. And this is where we kind of pick up the story. Saul's very angry, and I want to show you how David responded to one in authority who was angry at him. Look what the Scripture says. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 18, and this is what it says there in verses 10 and 11. David was playing the harp as he did each day. The Bible says that David was a harpist, and he played the harp for the king to, to soothe King Saul's mind and heart, serve the king. He was playing the harp, serving the king, doing what he was responsible for doing, but Saul had a spear in his hand. And suddenly, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. The Bible says David escaped him twice. Wow. So this shows us because of the way, you know, Saul handled his spear that this must mean he must have bad character because he didn't handle his spear very well. Mm-hmm. I so, bet he couldn't sleep at night. So in that very moment, David, he escaped Saul throwing a spear at him, but notice he didn't take the spear out of the wall and throw it back at, at Saul. This isn't the only time it happened. Look what so, so that shows you that, that David had good spear control, which showed that he had good character. Got it. Look what happens next. I bet David slept very well at night. Next, in 1 Samuel chapter 19, a little bit later, verses 5, 7, and 10, it says this, that uh, afterwards, Jonathan, Saul's son, came and talked to Saul and basically said, Dad, what are you doing? I mean, David's just a harpist. He, he didn't do anything wrong, and you're just going to hurl your spear at him? And so Jonathan goes and consoles his father, Saul, and David comes back in and does, does what he does again. And 
this is, this is what Jonathan says. He says, why should you murder an innocent man like David? There is no reason for it all. Afterward, Jonathan called David and told him what had happened. And then he brought David to Saul, and David served in the... <laughs> Are you telling the story like fourth or fifth hand? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's, it's it, the, the, the version of the story we're getting here sounds like the version that comes out after you play telephone. You know, you know what I mean? Telephone, where, you know, one person, they're given a message to convey to somebody and they whisper it in the ear of somebody who then, he doesn't have the written message anymore. He only has what was whispered in his ear. So he whispers it in the ear of the next person and then the next person whispers it in the ear of the next person. And at the end, they tell you what the supposedly the message was and it's like not even the same thing. I feel like this is the telephone version of the story of David and Saul and Jonathan because the details here, it's like, so Clay Nesmith, you know, he was told the story of David and Jonathan and Saul from some seeker-driven uh, leader out in uh, Jacksonville, Mississippi or something like that. And that guy heard it from a dude who read it, uh, you know, who, who read a synopsis of it on, on the uh, on the backside of a, of a vomit bag on an airline's flight that he was taken from, you know... <laughs> From Pig's Breath, Nebraska to whatever, and you know, you get what I'm saying here. I mean, this version of the story sounds like he's getting it fourth hand. <laughs> what is this? The court, as before, he went back doing exactly what he was doing before, though Saul had thrown a spear at him. Bible says there in verse 10, Saul hurled his spear at David again but David dodged out of the way and leaving the spear stuck in the wall the bible says he fled and he escaped into the night notice he does not pick up the spear he doesn't retaliate he's responsible for what he does he can only influence Saul Saul's very angry David is a rising figure in this particular area um, Saul's angry at David and wants to take David out the bible goes on to say that Saul gets very, very jealous. And so in 1 Samuel 24, verses 2 through 7, the Bible says that Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all of Israel and went out to search for David. And he and his men, um, they, they went near the rocks of the wild goats. At that place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to, to, to relieve himself. Isn't it amazing how graphic the Bible is? They go out to hunt for David, 3,000 people. Saul's got to use the bathroom. He goes over into a cave to use the bathroom. That's what the scripture says. And the Bible goes on to say, but as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in the cave. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Now's your time to kill Saul. He doesn't know we're in here. He's over there using the bathroom. David, sneak up behind him. Take him out. He's been trying to take your life. Why don't you go ahead and dishonor him? Look what the Bible says. Today, the Lord... <laughs> go ahead and dishonor him. No, actually, I think the, uh, the guys had in mind that they wanted uh, David not to dishonor Saul, but to kill him, you disembowel him, you know, something like that. But dishonor, I don't think was the thing that was on their mind. <sighs> Lord is telling you that, listen, people do that all the time. Today, the Lord is telling me to tell you this. 
And this is exactly what these men are saying. Today, the Lord is telling you, David, pay attention to the Lord. Dishonor Saul. So David kind of gives into these prophets, and this is what it says. It says, today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do this with you as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But look what it says. It says, David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. The Lord knows I shouldn't have done that to my Lord, the king. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king, and attack the Lord's anointed one. For the Lord himself has chosen him. The Bible says, so David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. And so what I wrote down about all of this is though Saul, the king, was throwing his spear at David, trying to take David out, David chose not to retaliate because he understood he understood Saul's position and he understood who God was. And so I wrote it down this way. When I honor the authority in my life, I'm expressing that I am trusting God's authority over my life. You know, there's this way so much more going on there. Um, David was the anointed king of Israel, and he didn't take Saul's life. He didn't want to stoop to his level, and he didn't feel that it was his place to take Saul out. It was, that's, that's God's prerogative. Good night. This is horrible. So all, apparently all of this is, you know, this, the story about David and Jonathan and his proper spear handling and everything, this is going to help you get a better night's sleep. I mean, who knew? When I honor the authority in my life, whether it be my mom or dad, my teacher at school, my boss at work, when I honor the authority in my life, I'm expressing that God has authority over my life. That's exactly what David does here. Yes, Saul was wrong. Saul was envious. Saul was mad. Saul Saul was, you know, showing bad character by improper spear handling. Saul was out of line. Saul shouldn't have been doing what he was doing. But the Bible says that David expresses an honorable heart. He expresses an honorable heart because he trusted the God that was over Saul. See, see, this is what we got to understand about living an honorable life. No matter what's going on in life, who's around us, we're not to take, we're not to take position, we're to exhibit power. Hear what I'm saying? Though a, we're not to take position, we're to exhibit power. What? No matter what's going on in life, who's around us, we're not to take, we're not to take position, we're to exhibit power. Hear what I'm saying. Though a person over you may be over you and doing some things to you that aren't responsible, that doesn't mean that you stay there, you let them hurt you. No, no, no. No, David fled. But David didn't allow himself to retaliate because David had an honorable heart. This is like listening to somebody try to tell me what the Bible says when the person telling me what the Bible says has no clue what the Bible says and is grasping at straws, just trying to find some lucid point to hang on to. 
man. Because he understood that justice belonged to the Lord. He understood who he was positionally. He understood that he could trust God as the authority in his life. And a lot of times when we retaliate, we're basically saying that God's not big enough to take care of it. That I've got to take matters into my own hand. And, and see, and then we'll begin to live a dishonorable life. And it, then you'll have a hard time sleeping at night. It causes a lot of, lot of chaos in and around us, and, and we miss so much in life. Honor starts with trusting the one that is over your life. Not just the authority in your life, but trusting the true one that is over all of life. And see, you can begin to live an honorable life and lay your head down at night in peace whenever you trust the one that is over all of life. David said this in Psalm verse 4, verse 8. Notice the tie-in back to the cure for insomnia. Eight. He says, in peace, I will lie down, sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me, will keep me safe. You see, honor is an attitude of my heart, not a response to their, to their actions. I honestly believe that God puts authority in our life sometimes to test our faith in him. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. But it's to test our faith is do we really believe that God is in complete, complete control? Notice David didn't stay in a place of harm, but what David did was removed himself from that. But he did did not dishonor Saul in the process. You study the scripture backwards and forwards. Man, honor, honor always is exhibited through those who begin, begin to move forward with God begins to rest at night, begins to really have... Again, I come back to the point you are dishonoring God by mishandling his word and clearly not studying and showing yourself approved as somebody who can rightly handle God's word. You're dishonoring him by speaking falsely of God. Have, have that peace beyond, beyond human understanding. The book of Daniel is all about Daniel honoring king after king after king. You should go study it sometimes. Yeah, so Daniel's all about how Daniel honored kings. No, that's like completely missing the entire point of Daniel. Read it. He has, he's too busy to actually, you know, preach through Daniel. He's got more important things to do, like teaching you how to cure insomnia by learning how to exhibit honor in your life. It's amazing. Uh, Daniel honored uh, the kings after kings after kings who wanted to do horrific things to it. And, and, and Daniel, who he wouldn't bow down and worship a, a false god as these kings would try to get him to worship false gods. But he would honor the king that was in charge, but he would, he would obey a god. See, see. Um, <laughs> Have you read the story of Daniel? Because <laughs> that little summary makes me feel like you've probably never even read the book. <laughs> Good night. You need to take a, a number one, a basic Bible class that actually requires you to read the Bible, and then you, and then maybe a reading comprehension course to go along with it. Good grief! Honor is not being disobedient to what God has told you to do. Honor is being completely obedient to what God has told you to do, but showing complete respect for those who are in charge. You can show complete respect for those who are in charge and still be obedient to God. 
Now, there may be some consequences for that. You may experience some hardships in your life, but, but you can begin to move forward when you trust the one that is over, over authority. A marriage is a great example. A lot of people think of this word as submission as weakness. The truth is that submission is strength, not weakness. And whenever you can really be submitted, you're really a strong person. My wife is one of the strongest people I know on planet Earth. She is in, com- she, she is in complete submission to how God has set up the household. But does she always obey everything I say? Absolutely not, because a lot of times what I say sometimes is wrong and out of line with what God has said. But she's in submission uh, to me and because God has placed me in authority over my family. And see, submission isn't weakness, and we need to get over that. A submission is actually a sign of strength. When I can learn... And how is this supposed to help your wife sleep better at night? I'm not seeing the connection. Learn to be submitted to where God has placed me. I'm really a strong person, and I understand the position I have in life. Did you know Jesus, the Son, God in the flesh, was submitted to the Father? Did Did you know that because of his submission, that he really rose to a place of incredible, incredible honor? Jesus, uh, the son. The so, I mean, this is a, a sermon obsessed with the topic of showing honor and submitting and things like that. Sounds like this guy is really kind of have control issues and may be one of these seeker driven leaders, you know, little dictator going on there. And you, you don't, this is a messaging about don't you dare dishonor him or not submit because he's in the in authority that's kind of the subtext of this whole thing the one that was in the flesh was submitted to the father i mean he didn't say father i want to be you and i want you to be me i want you to come down across and i want to be up in heaven calling the shots no 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 the bible says that god was in the flesh he was in jesus and jesus was completely submitted to the father you're talking about a sign of strength someone that was willing to go to the cross give his life resurrect from a grave because of his strength because of his great great uh, submission submission is not a weakness submission is a sign of you understand who is in complete control and it's your it's your heavenly father david didn't retaliate against saul because he understood he understood who was in complete control i wrote this down When I trust that God is in charge, I sleep instead of scheme. (laughs) When I trust that God is in charge, I sleep instead of scheme. Some of us lay awake at night scheming about how we're going to get back at them. She talked to my boyfriend. How am I going to get back at her? How am I going to position myself? How am I going to dishonor her? Uh, Can you believe him? He exercised his gifting, and he's trying to take over my position in life at work. Really? Could it have something to do with your heart and your insecure? See, this is what happens when we have a dishonorable heart. A dishonorable heart is driven through, through insecurity. When I'm insecure about life itself, there's no way I can honor anybody in life because I'm always worried about 
am I going to get ahead? Am I going to get above them? Am I going to have a position beyond, beyond somebody else? I'm always feeling like the world's taking advantage of me. And it keeps me from giving what God gave me to the world. It's a big, big principle to understand that, you know what, God has created sometimes people in our life that just, just cause us to kind of check ourselves up occasionally. But the truth is, is if we learn to have an honorable heart in those over us, those against us, then, then God will elevate us and we'll begin to sleep at night. I, I, I'm beginning to discover, I mean, every, I, look, I'm human too. Everything in me wants to lash out at people. So you're just, just now discovering that you're human too. Well, I'm glad you finally figured it out. Were they over me, against me, or whatever else? I mean, do you know how many times people have said stuff about me on Facebook? You know what I want to do? I want to do the exact thing you do. I want to type in there, you flipping idiot. <laughs> Meet me outside. Obviously, that's the part that comes from the Stephen Furtick uh, School of Pastoral Care and Shepherding. But I don't do that. Because the truth of the matter is, retaliation isn't what God called me to do. God has called me to a place and a space to do something with my life. And no matter who dishonors you in the process... If you understand who you are and you trust the one over your life, you begin to move forward in life and you lay your head down at night and you say, let the critics talk. I keep moving forward with God because God is the one that appointed me. God is the one that gave me my role, whether it be a school teacher. Now, let's pause for a second. Let's consider something here. Another question. Is Clay Nesmith like point... Uh, for the uh, for some vast conspiracy to dumb down Christianity, uh, because seriously, this is pretty vapid. It's so shallow and ridiculous, and shows no skill whatsoever in handling God's word, and shows that he doesn't really even understand the Bible all that well, and clearly doesn't have an ability to communicate it. Yet he is a seeker-driven megachurch, multi-site pastor. Which is beyond me. But let's think about this. While we're hearing this train wreck of a sermon, um, the people that attended or you know attend Barefoot Church, they weren't being taught um, about the Trinity. They weren't being taught about original sin. They were not being taught about justification by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. They were not being taught about uh, the two natures of Christ, Christ's uh, human nature and his, uh, in his divine nature, uh, or the communication of the attributes. They were not being taught regarding sound biblical sanctification. They weren't really being taught anything accurately regarding the Bible at all or sound doctrine, or even rightly handled biblical text. So there was a complete missed opportunity. And when you sample um, Clay Nesmith's sermons, this is what happens week after week, month after month, there at Barefoot Church. You come away scratching your head wondering, what on earth is this man even talking about? And what does any of this have to do with the historic, orthodox, Christian faith and what it has believed, taught, and confessed for two millennia? The answer is there's no connection whatsoever. 
So I asked the question again, is he basically running point for some vast conspiracy to utterly dumb down uh, Christianity so that at the end of the day, nobody actually knows or believes or knows how to think critically or knows or believes what the historic Christian faith is, what it's believed, taught, and confessed? I mean, you get what I'm saying here. The, the, there, there's only so much bandwidth that a person has in their life regarding what they can commit to church. And every Sunday that goes by where the entire bandwidth is sucked up and used to convey nonsense, well, you've missed an opportunity to actually teach the Christian faith. You get what I'm saying? We continue. A stay-at-home mom, whether it be a doctor, whether it be a preacher, whether it be an executive, whether, whether it be a mechanic or whatever else, say, this, this is my role in life. And God gave me this role in life, and I'm walking in the fullness of that. I'm expressing who he is every single day, and I have the opportunity to change the world. And whenever we live like that, man, we, we begin to not scheme. We begin to sleep. Honor those who are in authority over you. David didn't only honor those who was in authority over him. Look what it says. David honored those around him. The Bible is full of all kinds of things, and I won't go into all of them, but Second Samuel talks a lot about David's mighty men. Once he became king, he had a group of people around him. He understood the concept of team, and David talked about his mighty men. David honored the, the son of the one that was trying. He understood the concept of team? What is this? Trying to kill him. David honored Jonathan. Jonathan became a friend of David. David always honored him. He didn't discount him because his father was mad at him. The Bible says David always honored his friend, his friend, Jonathan. David honored those around him. One time, a, a man named Nathan in the Bible came to David. And in a very respectful way, he told David a story about something David had done horrific. David <laughs> yeah, you know. Murdered Uriah the Hittite, slept with his wife, impregnated her, you know, adultery and murder. <clears throat> yeah, it, oh man. But look at how respectful Nathan was. He was he was still honoring. <sighs> David had slept with another man's wife, and David had messed up. Nathan tells him a story by using a parable, a an analogy, so to say. He tells him the story, and David didn't slaughter Nathan for bringing it to his attention. No, uh, David honored Nathan. All right, let me tell you a story. There once was a seeker-driven megachurch pastor who thought that he was really clever and innovative and was really good at marketing and drawing a crowd. And Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, he would draw a huge crowd and he would make people laugh. He would make them feel like their felt needs were being cared for. And he neglected to actually preach sound biblical theology, sound biblical doctrine, Christ and him crucified for our sins, and never ever confronted people with their sins and called them to repent and believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And then over over a long period of time, eventually everybody who ever attended that seeker-driven church died. Basically, the natural course of history ran its way. The church ceased to exist. The pastor died, and everybody there died. And what happened is, is they all went to heaven. And you know what Jesus said to every one of them? I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers, into the fire prepared for the devil and all of his angels. The end. See if you can figure out the moral of that story. He understood that 
God had a plan for his life. And though David had been placed in the position of king at this particular time, he respected and honored everybody else that was positioned around him. Is that how you operate? Because the Bible says that whenever we are really, really honoring those who are teamed up with us, that we're expressing that we're trusting God's plan for our life. See, it's one thing to... And what passage says that? Again, you're making all these assertions, but I'm not familiar with any of those passages of Scripture, and I've actually read the Bible a few times. Express that God is the authority over your life, but do you understand God has a plan for your life? And when you honor the other people around you and add value to them, you begin to express that you understand that God has a plan for your life. Did you know that God has a plan for your life? A clear plan, a perfect plan. He's put you in a place and a space to carry that plan out. But how you honor those around you really determines, do you believe that God has a plan for you, a design for you? I want to read in that same passage of Scripture there in Romans chapter 12 because this is what the Scripture says about every single one of us. It says this, because of the privilege and authority God has has given me, this is Paul talking to the church at Rome. He says, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. In other words, God gave you the role, gave you the position. And the reason why he gave you this is so that you'd sleep better at night. But it's no better than anybody else's role or position. And so whether you clean the floor or whether you collect the money or whether you speak off the platform, work with kids, sing, sit in a seat, or whatever else you do, he says that you're really no more important than than anybody else. Don't think of yourself more important. It says, be honest, be real, keep it authentic. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself. What? Be honest, keep it real, be authentic? What translation are you working from again? Measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part have a special function, so it is with Christ's body, the local church. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if we could discover that? We belong to each other, just like my hand belongs to my foot. And without my foot, my hand can't function properly. It doesn't, doesn't get my body down the road like it's supposed to. So you know, we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to, to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as he has given you. If he's given you the gift of serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, well, go ahead and give generously. If God, what if it's discerning? Mm-hmm. God has given you the leadership ability to take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift of showing kindness to others, do it, do it gladly. See, see, whenever we have an honorable heart, we really, really value other people and how God has gifted them. And and really how I... You know, you were doing better when you were reading the biblical text. Th- that made sense. What you're trying to do is in the application portion of this thing to apply what that text shows you don't know what those texts mean or actually say. Handle myself and my life really shows me, do I value other people? Do I try to do everything myself? 
Because if I try to do everything myself, then I truly don't have an honorable heart because I think I'm the most important and nobody else has gifts to offer to help me do something great in life. David understood and valued a team. He understood those around him. He understood that God placed gifts and talents in other people to get more done. And when I have an honorable heart, I value those around me. I begin uh, to say, you know what? God has given you what he's given you so that we can get more done. But so many people, they try to do everything themselves. This is why they don't rest good at night. Because they don't have an honorable heart. They don't value. Ah, yeah, here we go back to the sleep thing. So they don't rest well at night because they don't have an honorable heart. Right. I think this is a complete adventure in missing the point. Good night. Value other people. They begin to say, you know what? It's about me getting it all done. No, no, no. It's about us getting it all done. And the day that I begin to allow other people to do stuff, whether it be creative, administrative, you notice what it says here? that some people have a special gift of kindness. Now, we as Christ followers should all be kind, but some people have the gift of kindness. That means they go above and beyond. That, that means, you know what, they, are, they, they just have this ability to, to be kind in every situation. I don't have that ability. It's okay. That doesn't mean I'm not kind, but I have the ability to be the pin in the cushion. And if it's not going like it should go, then you know what? I, I have the the, the 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 gift of exhortation. I'm saying it's not going like it should go. There's nothing wrong with that. But I value the gift of kindness. And let me just be authentic and real here. You truly do not have the gift of teaching. Kindness. I value the gift of serving. I value the gift of mercy. And, and see, this is really understand. See, too many people think that that being a Christian is about being all these attributes of God. And I'm just here to, to reveal something to you. Maybe that's the reason you're tired and worn out. Because you're trying to be all the attributes of God, and God has called you to be a part of the body. And Yeah, I don't know anybody who's uh, trying to be everything. Um, don't know anybody who does that. So I'm pretty sure most people who have insomnia that are Christians are not suffering from this problem. And exhibit those attributes together uh, to the world. And the moment you try and you disvalue everybody else and you try to be Jesus, is the moment you missed it. Because there's only one Jesus. And he embodied all the attributes of God. But a lot of times people say, well, I, I, I don't know if... If you're really a Christian because you didn't do this or you didn't do God didn't gift me to do that. But God has put me in a part, a partnership with other people to get it done. See, that's having an honorable heart, valuing who God has created other, others. I, mean, I, I know this is a, a mind shift for a lot of us, but understand it's really a, a sign of arrogance and pride whenever you think that you have to do everything. It's, it's really devaluing everybody else around you and, and, and not living an honorable life. And that, that, that might be the reason you can't rest at, lot, at night because you don't honor the people that God has placed around you. The purpose of your life, the, the plan for God's life is for you to be a valuable part. And see, when I can trust the one that is over me, my great God, when I understand his plan is for me to be a part of the local church, 
and then I begin to carry out that purpose that my part is to play, then I begin to live an honorable life. I begin to rest. Well, again, you're not setting a good example. Um, the part you're supposed to play clearly is not teacher because you are not gifted as a teacher. You shouldn't be preaching and teaching because you don't know how to do it. Rest at night. This could be the most important thing I'm getting ready to say. Because a lot of people don't understand the, they understand the plan, but they don't understand the purpose in their part. And the purpose in your part is... And what does this have to do with curing insomnia again? I just am frustrated beyond belief that this sermon isn't over yet. It's simply this, to add value to everyone. To add value to every single thing you touch in life. You see, because whenever I do that, I'm expressing that I'm, I'm trusting God's purpose for my life. God's purpose for my life is to, to add value. And, and that's exactly what David did. He added value. He didn't throw his spear at everybody he came across. He tried his best to add value to people. Yeah, like Uriah the Hittite. Yeah, that was adding value. If you continue to study the life of David after he became, he became king, Saul Saul basically committed suicide and died. And uh, Jonathan had, had, had gone. David's king and he's risen uh, to, to the very top of his game. And there were some people in the household of, 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 of Saul that were afraid of David. They, they were afraid that David was going to take his spear and kill him because they belonged to the household of Saul. And so David does something remarkable, and I just, I just want to show it to you. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 9. In verses, verses 1 through 4, he added value. Look what it says. It says, one day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Everybody's like, uh-oh, David's getting ready to throw his spear. Anyone whom I can show kindness. Uh, where in the Texas people were diving, getting, trying to run away from having a spear thrown at them? That's not in the text. For Jonathan's sake, the Bible says he, he summoned a man named Ziba who had been one of Saul's servants. And David says, are you Ziba? The king asked, yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. And Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He's a crippled in both feet. He's He's crippled in both of his feet. And David says, well, where is he? The king asked. And it says, in Lodabar, Ziba told him, living down in Lodabar. you got to understand where Lodabar was. Lodabar, Lodabar was a dry, desolate, desolate, restless place. If you lived in Lodabar, you were restless. You didn't have sweet dreams. You didn't sleep at night. This is where this particular individual... And which biblical, historical, you know, commentary or thing regarding... Tells us about Lodabar, that the people there didn't sleep well at night. And that it was a listless, you know, restless, dry place. I'm not familiar with any of, you know, like the biblical resources that talk about Lodabar that way. Can you give us a footnote, you know, show us a scholar who actually said that? He was in a place where he felt unwanted, unknown, adrift abandoned, alone, and very restless. You know anybody like that? Bible says there in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 5, so David sent for him. Look what happens next. It says there in verse 6, it says, David says, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. 
And David says, don't be afraid. Mephibosheth thought in that very moment that David had brought him there to kill him, to do away with him, to take his life with his spear. And David says, don't be afraid. I intend to show kindness to you because of the promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Verse 8 says, Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show a kindness, look what he thought of himself, to a dead dog like me? The word Mephibosheth here in the scripture, it means... Again, how is this going to help me sleep better at night? Um, I'm not seeing the connection. He's a shameful one. Mephibosheth was a shameful one, was a crippled man living down in Lodabar, not sleeping at night, living in a dry, desolate, restless place. And see what the Bible says here? The Bible says that Mephibosheth, he took the king's offer and his life was changed. Understand that God has called us not to throw our spear at anyone, but to... No one had a spear in this part of the story of David. What are you talking about? Express a kindness, honor, hospitality, love to everyone. Because the, the truth of the matter is, it really shows us what we believe about our great God and our purpose in life. God has called us to add value to people. That's what the local church should do. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, right. You have no clue what the story is about, do you? Is that value to people? Look what it says. And this is, this is what happens when we honor those who feel like they don't deserve to be honored. It expresses, it expresses the heart of the king. It expresses, it expresses who Jesus is. It expresses the heart of the king. It expresses who Jesus is. And the Bible says that Mephibosheth was down in Lodabar. Mephibosheth, well, he didn't value his own life. And what happened is David honored him. And he didn't deserve to be honored, but it expressed the heart of the king. And whenever we express the heart of Jesus, it changes everything. Hmm. Um, can we express like the heart of Jesus regarding the forgiveness of sins, reconciling us to God by his shed blood? You mean stuff like that, the stuff you're not actually preaching about? Where's my harpist at? My guy that's supposed to be on the keyboard. I want you to start playing because we got to set the mood right here, Kelly. Give Kelly a hand clap today. Okay, so Kelly is going to now cue the sappy music. By the way, this is an emotional manipulation technique used in seeker-driven churches to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending upon the crowd and get ready to do business with people who are ready to um, make commitments to do the right thing so that they can sleep better at night. Clay Nesmith is looking pensive on the stage. See, I know some people came here today. And you live in a dry, desolate place. 
Yeah, I don't think Myrtle Beach, South Carolina is a dry, desolate place. From what I understand about the climate there, it's pretty humid in the summers, and, and they have swamps and stuff. And plus it's close to, well, <clears throat> the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean. And so they generally get sea breezes, and it's not a dry, desolate place at all. In fact, it's almost tropical. You're restless. You're a lot like Mephibosheth. You feel like the shameful one. But I want to share with you why we do church. Okay. This, there's some hope here. We might accidentally steer into the gospel. It's to honor everybody. No, now we're getting colder. To honor you no matter what happened to you last... Colder, really colder, 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 colder. If he gets warm, you know, and starts heading towards the gospel, I'll let you know. This is really cold now. Freezing. Last night, what dry place, what desolate place you're in. We're Antarctica, it's really freezing. We're not here to throw spears. We're actually here to hold spears and protect you and say, would you... It's beyond Antarctica now. It's like Antarctica without the sun. Would you come in? There's a king who came and he wants you at his table. He came. He gave his life on a... Warmer. We're, we're getting warmer. Things are... It's gone from freezing to... Still frozen, but maybe we're heading towards something warm. Across the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, while we were yet sinners. Ah, uh, now we have the gospel showing up. Wow, we're going to have to do a full blown gospel nugget sound bite. Hold on a second here. Uh, completely unexpected here. Turn of events out of nowhere, the gospel shows up. All right, let's see what happens here. That Jesus died for us. He honored you before you have ever... Now we're getting colder. ...ever honored him. And now we're really getting cold. You see, there's been something on my heart all week long. and I Yeah, don't share it because nothing ever good comes out of the heart. Jesus said that. I knew I was going to teach about honor. You said you were teaching about sweet, you know, sweet dreams. But really, it has a lot to do with the philosophy of this church and how, mm, yeah, okay. how we do church. Because depending on how you see what I'm getting ready to say really determines on whether you can express honor and sleep at night. Uh-oh, so if you get this wrong, you will not sleep at night. You'll go weeks without any sleep. You see, some people believe that you should stop sinning. And receive the love, grace, and mercy of God. But that's not the gospel at all. The, uh, what's the gospel? The gospel is receive the love, grace, and mercy of God. Yeah. And stop sinning. Ah, okay. So, yeah, yeah I would agree with you. That's correct. Uh, you bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And that really determines how you do life. Because, you see, either you're trying to stop sinning to receive something from God that He's already done, or you receive something from God that He's already done, and it gives you the ability to come out of Lodabar. To come out of Lodabar. Uh-huh. I'm thinking that both examples that you've given here uh, are fatally flawed. And so many people are preaching this gospel so to say, this good news of you are to stop sinning and receive the love, grace, and mercy of God. That is, Who's preaching that again? I don't know anybody who preaches like that. That is backwards from what Jesus said. Okay. 
Jesus said, receive the love, grace, and mercy of God that I offered on a cross. While you were yet sinners, I died for you. All right, hang on a second here. The gospel again actually showed up again. Hang on. Apparently, it's just, you know, flying around the uh, barefoot church there. So it's made another flyover. I didn't come to throw a spear at you. I came with open arms. I came- uh-huh. Jesus didn't come to throw a spear at us. Man, it, <laughs> this we're wild temperature swings. We go from hot to cold, like, instantaneously. I came to show you love. I came to show you grace. I know you're in Lodabar. No, I'm not. I'm in northeast Indianapolis, and you're in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Nobody lives in Lodabar. But I came to express something to you. I came to express good news. That's what the gospel is. Yeah, that's what gospel means. And so if you're here today just trying to clean it all up, sir, so that Jesus will express love and grace and mercy to you, he's already done that. I agree. Ma'am, I'm here to declare to you today. That the good news is love, grace, and mercy has already come. The question is, will you receive the power? The power? How about the forgiveness of sins? To walk away from that thing that's holding you back. Yeah, see, both examples that he's given, there's a fatal flaw in the theology of both examples. Although I'm pretty sure the first example was the straw man. You see, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, It says, it is by grace through faith that we are salvaged. Uh, No, see, you you just messed it up. I mean, I was getting ready to play the gospel nugget soundbite again, you know, for third pass, you know, third flyby of the gospel. By grace, you you have been salvaged? No, it's saved. Saved, not salvaged. Through God's grace and your faith that he's already did something is the way that you're put back in a right relationship with God. So you can have peace and sleep at night. One time. Uh, okay. So if you're not sleeping at night, yeah, this, this is really bad. One time Jesus in John chapter eight, a bunch of people brought a sinful lady, a lady who had been sleeping around. The Bible says she was a prostitute and a bunch of sinful people brought this, this lady to Jesus in John chapter eight. They had stones in their hand. They asked Jesus. No, actually, it doesn't say that she was a prostitute. It just says that she was caught in the act of adultery. It makes you wonder what happened to the dude. Jesus question. They said, Jesus, the law says because she's sinning that we're able to kill her. We're able to throw stones at her. And Jesus looked at him in the eye and he says, the one of you without sin in your life, go ahead and throw the first, the first stone. The Bible says that they all dropped the stones that they had in their hand and they walked away. And then Jesus looked the lady in the eye and he said something incredible. He says, he says, who condemns you now? And the lady said, no one. And Jesus says, now, because you've experienced love, grace, and mercy, you've met me. He says, now go and stop a sinning. You see, the Bible says there as we started off tonight, it says, you know what? Stop. 
you do know that this story is probably apocryphal, right? A sinning. Don't let anger control you, but you learn to control anger. But the truth is you'll never, ever have an honorable heart and control anger until you receive the love, grace, and mercy of first. Because you can try. You might get it right some days, but you're probably going to get it wrong the next day because you're trying to do it in your own power and your own strength. And there's a God who came to give you incredible power so anger no longer controls you, but you control it and you walk by faith. Yeah, I mean, there's gospel elements in here, but they're mixed with some other stuff. You know, this is not good. And entrusting the one who came to express the good news. This church is about coming with open arms. Love, grace, and mercy. Grace. Now, why did you save all this up to the very, 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 very end with the sappy music? Why didn't you preach on this during the the beefy part of this sermon? Love, grace, and mercy. And once you get love, grace, and mercy, you will stop doing some of the things that are holding you back in life, like being angry in all of your relationships. And what happens then if you're angry after you've accepted this love, grace, and mercy? The way you're pitching it, they're gonna co- this is going to cause people to doubt their salvation. But you see, where do you find love, grace, and mercy? It was embodied in one individual, and his name is Jesus. We talked about coming to Jesus last week. But you see, some of us are trying to get things right so that Jesus will come to us. And Jesus brought you here this weekend, no matter what campus you're at. So, Yeah, I don't think Jesus was responsible for bringing the people to your church because you're not rightly handling God's word. Jesus probably wouldn't want them to go there. So you could live an honorable life. So you could begin to get over your anger and move forward with the forgiveness that God offers. And the way to do that is simply put your faith in what is already done. That is the true gospel. That is why we do things the way we do them at this church. Love, grace, and mercy must come first, and then you will stop sinning. I'm not here to control how you do your life. I'm here to introduce you to one that will give you the power to have the control over. You know, if we're going to stop sinning after we've made this decision, why is it that Jesus taught his disciples to pray every day, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us? You know, there's a there's a way in which you're pitching this result that's not accurate with what the Bible does teach. And because you're pitching it the way you're pitching it, when people sin, they're going to believe they're not saved. That's a real problem your life and his name is jesus can you bow your heads please yeah no i'm sorry clay we don't get to pray with you because i'm not sure exactly which jesus you're praying to and because uh, you've proven yourself to be an inaccurate handler of god's word and not qualified to actually teach and do things that you're doing (sighs) what a mess so um what did you think I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, 
Facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pirate Christian. Till next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.